This morning we finished chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, of this one of the four accounts in the Bible of Jesus' life. We started the Gospel of John right after Easter this year, and we've been in chapter 6 for about a month, and we come to the end of chapter 6. And it is especially appropriate today, on the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks this weekend, that we look at this passage. Because we remember that day as a hard day. When we were confronted with evil, with hatred, and with suffering. A day when we asked, God, how could you let this happen? And yet, even though we questioned God, there was an overwhelming response of turning to God. Because there was nowhere else to turn. And that's what our passage is about today. It is about how life is hard. How following Jesus is hard. And yet, there's nowhere else to turn. That even through that difficulty, we still follow Jesus. And so the big question I want on your minds as we gather here this morning is how will we respond when following Jesus is hard? So I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles or the bulletin. We're going to be looking at John chapter 6, starting in verse 60 and then reading through the end of the chapter, which is verse 71. John chapter 6, Jesus has just been teaching people in the synagogue using some very confusing and hard language and teaching. And so we pick up there in verse 60. Let us hear the Word of God. When many of His disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. After this, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. 
Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You that You do not shy away from showing us the hard parts. That You do not remove the story of Job from the Bible that frightens us. That we could suffer so much knowing that You permit it. We thank You, God, that You show us people walking away from Jesus as a warning. We thank You, God, that You give us hope in these passages. And I pray, God, today that as we hear this challenging and yet comforting passage, that we would hear You speak to us. Spirit, I pray that You would use me in spite of my own sin, to proclaim these words You have inspired. I pray, O Spirit, that You would work in us to open hearts and minds, that You would give us ears to hear, that You would mold and shape us, O God, and that Your Word would work in us today. Lord, we ask that You would do Your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're told in our passage today, essentially two of many ways that it can be hard to follow Jesus. These are not the only two ways. They're just two ways that make it hard to follow Jesus. And then we are eventually shown the call to humbly trust and follow Jesus, even when it's hard. So our passage picks up in verse 60. Jesus has just been teaching that he is the bread of life. He gave this teaching in a synagogue in the town of Capernaum after he had miraculously fed a crowd of thousands of people. He told this people that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood if they want to have eternal life. Last week we talked about how he was speaking metaphorically about spiritual truths and how we are called to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But those are hard words. Hard words that Christ alone is the only way to eternal life. John tells us that the crowd there thought the same thing. That when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, if we were to leave here today and go to a university and sit in the lecture on astrophysics or biochemistry, we'd probably sit there and go, oh, geez, this is hard. Who can listen to this? You know? And we'd mean it's over our heads. That we can't understand what's being taught. And I can understand that there might have been some people that day in the synagogue of Capernaum who just couldn't follow what Jesus was saying. But the word for hard in verse 60 does not mean confusing. It means offensive. It is hard in the sense that it is challenging to what it is we believe. Note how Jesus says at the end of verse 61, do you take offense at this? He doesn't say, you guys just don't understand what I'm saying, do you? He doesn't say that. He says, you take offense at this. They do understand what he's saying, but they don't like it. As we talked with the kids today, Our kids understand that we are telling them no. They just don't like that we're telling them no. That's what these disciples were feeling. 
So what did the people in the synagogue hear that they found so offensive? Well, they were certainly offended by his claim that he, Jesus alone, is the way to receive eternal life. And that no one can come to him for eternal life unless the Father first draws them to eternal life. Jesus taught that we are so sinful we cannot save ourselves. And that he is the only one who can save us. And he alludes to the fact that we are saved through his death. That he has to die for us in order to be saved. And while that is good news, it's hard. It's hard to take. Our New Testament reading was about that from 1 Corinthians. How the gospel message sounds like foolishness to many people. That some, like the Jews, were offended because they didn't like to think they were so bad. That they couldn't save themselves. Some of us are like that. We like to think we're pretty good people, thank you very much. How dare Jesus say we are lost without God's intervention? Others, like the Greeks, are offended because we're okay with Jesus being a way to be saved. But there's no way he can be the way. Jesus doesn't mean that like everyone has to believe in just him to be eternal life, to have eternal life, does he? No, can't mean that. That's too narrow. And so Jesus challenges his grumbling followers who are offended in these kinds of ways by saying that seeing does not equal believing. Seeing does not equal believing. He says, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The implication seems to be that these people who are grumbling saw that miraculous feeding of the 5,000. They ate that bread that Jesus provided, and yet here they are, less than 24 hours later, just grumbling. Just like, ugh, who does this guy think he is? Were you not just there? What do you mean, who do you think this guy is? Jesus is saying that even if he were to reveal his full glory, even if he were to visibly go up into heaven, people still would not believe in Jesus because of their sinful flesh and how it's an obstacle to belief. That we cannot believe in Jesus unless the Spirit gives us life through the words of Jesus first. And this wasn't new. Jesus is saying what we see all through the Old Testament. Because if you've read through even parts of the Old Testament, you probably come away just frustrated with Israel. What's the deal? How can they disobey so stupidly after all they have seen? Why don't you trust your God? He has shown you his miraculous power. You're a bunch of idiots. What's the deal? And the answer is seeing is not believing. That believing is the result of a work of God in our hearts. And that is an offensive idea to many people. And yet it is a truth revealed in Scripture, a truth taught by Jesus. And we see that much of what Jesus taught offended people and made it hard for them to follow him. And to make matters worse, we are not the only ones who find his teaching offensive. Everyone finds it offensive. And that means 
that many people around us will reject the teaching. They will reject it before we do. And we will have an experience like the disciples had of seeing people around us walk away. See, it's not just that the teaching is offensive, it's the sad truth that many people will turn away from following Jesus. And that makes it hard to follow Him. I mean, verse 66 should break your heart. It says, After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. The identity of these people is very important. These are not just people from that crowd of 5,000, but they're also not the 12 who get mentioned later. These are people from a larger group of followers, of disciples that were following Jesus. That Jesus did keep the 12 close, but he always had more than 12 following him. And some of that larger group is now turning away from following him. They do not like what they're hearing, and so they leave. Now, if you've been with us the past few weeks, I hope a question popping into your mind is verse 37. I thought Jesus said that he would never cast people out who came to him. I thought he said he would never lose anyone who came to him. Didn't these disciples come to Jesus? Well, as we talked about two weeks ago, people who fall away are either those who never really came to Jesus in the first place, or they're people who are only falling away for a time and they will come back. These are not people who were saved and then somehow lost their salvation. And we can feel confident about that interpretation. One, because John knows what he's doing and he's not going to put contradictory teaching here in the text. But also the mention of Judas Iscariot, who would go on to betray Jesus. That Judas was a close follower of Jesus. He was one of the twelve. He was sent out by Jesus to teach and heal and yet he still betrayed Jesus. We are told multiple times in this passage that Jesus knew about this ahead of time. That Judas's true allegiance was always clear to him. He knew Judas never came to him, even though he stuck around that day. And that's why he fell away. He never came to Jesus. The same is true of those who turned away from Jesus. They didn't like his teaching because they wanted something Jesus wasn't willing to give. That Jesus was here just offering something amazing. And they're like, yeah... I'm not really interested in that. I kind of want this thing. Can you give me this thing? And so when their preconceived expectations of who their Messiah would be were challenged, they walked away. They weren't getting what they wanted from Jesus, so they stopped following Him. This passage reveals they were not following Jesus. They were walking with Him. So verse 66 says, They're walking with Him. There's a difference between walking with someone and following someone. You can fool yourself if you're walking with someone and thinking, hey, let's go this way now. You feel like you're taking the lead. Following means, nope, you got it. I don't know where I'm going. You take me where I'm going. They weren't following because they weren't willing to go where Jesus was taking them. 
They were willing to walk with Jesus, thinking they knew where they were going. But when Jesus took a turn and they kept walking, like, oh, oh, I'm not going that way. No. And so the scene in the synagogue that day is of many people who had been walking with Jesus for some time, and then they went away. Some of them may have been visibly upset, angry at what Jesus had been saying. Others may have been heartbroken, unwilling to go on the hard road Jesus was taking them. And so this large group of followers dwindled. Like a stadium full of fans filing out in the fourth quarter when their team is getting crushed. They're just sad. They're leaving. Just slowly trickling away. And very few are left other than the twelve. And everyone who does stick around sees this as just a major blow to the Jesus movement. And so Jesus, seeing all of this around him, turns to the twelve and he asks, Do you want to go away as well? All these other people have left. I'm not nearly as popular as I was just a few hours ago. Your friends left. Maybe even some of your family left. They rejected me as the Messiah. What about you? Now, Jesus is not asking because he doesn't know. If he knew about Judas, he knew about all of them. He knew how they would respond, but they needed to respond. They needed to say they were going to stick around. To not leave. And so in response to this penetrating question, the disciple Peter gives just a beautiful answer. Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. I mean, I get chills every time I read those verses. I don't know about you. Because as tough as Jesus' teaching was to take, as hard as it was to see his friends walk away, Peter knew there is no better option than sticking with you. He had heard enough from Jesus to know there's no one like this guy. I know Jesus is right, even if I can't make sense of it. There is nowhere else to turn because there is no other way to eternal life except through Jesus. So he couldn't leave. The twelve couldn't leave. They had seen enough to know, as hard as this is, we're with Jesus. Now, we've primarily been talking about people who were sitting in a synagogue almost 2,000 years ago in Capernaum. But what about us? I want to direct these questions to us because following Jesus is hard for us. And when it's hard, will we turn away? And where would we go? We won't know our answer until it happens. But you can be sure that you will be tempted to turn away from Jesus. So how will we respond when following Jesus is hard? When the teaching offends us as it did that day in Capernaum. Maybe it's Jesus' teaching about salvation that offends us. That Jesus is the only one who can save us or anyone else. 
We don't like hearing that we can't save ourselves because we think we're pretty good people. I mean, look at all those bad people over there. I'm better than them. We don't like hearing that anyone who does not believe in Jesus will be judged for their sins and condemned to hell. We don't like that. And so the words of of Jesus may offend us. Will we turn away? And if so, where would you go? Would we rather go to a God who won't judge anyone and all the evil in the world will go unpunished because God can't send anyone to hell? Would we rather believe that you can be saved through any religion, even if those religions are fundamentally incompatible with one another? Is that a better way than the way of Jesus? Perhaps it's Jesus' teaching about God's sovereignty that offends us. That no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him by the Holy Spirit. That God must initiate our salvation, which he does by choosing us for salvation out of his grace. We don't like the idea that our life is in some sense out of our control, that we are elected, predestined. This biblical teaching offends us. And so will will we turn away? And if so, where would we go? Would we rather be saved by what we do and the choices we make? Would we rather be responsible for not losing our own salvation and so being constantly anxious about whether I've done enough good and whether I've avoided enough bad? Worrying, is our salvation going to get revoked? Is this a better way than Jesus? For most of us, it tends to be Jesus' teaching about suffering that offends us. That God permits all suffering to happen to us and He uses it for our good purposes. Whether it's an event as big as 9-11 or the COVID pandemic, these things are permitted as part of God's plans. Just as more personal elements of suffering like cancer and miscarriages and mental illness, and bullying. We don't like the idea that God could have prevented these things, but has allowed them to happen in order that His good purposes may be accomplished. That offends us deeply. How dare you? So will we turn away? And if so, where would we go? Would we rather live in a world where suffering is meaningless and random and isn't being used for some higher good purpose by an infinitely wise God? Would you rather believe in a God who was surprised by 9-11? Whoa, where'd that come from? Who's trying to figure out, what do I do with this pandemic? Man, this is really throwing me for a loop. Is that better than the way of Jesus? There's much in the Bible that's hard for us to accept because it isn't what we want to hear. But just because we don't want to hear it, it doesn't make it not true. It is good news for us, even if we don't see it as good in that moment. We may not have all the answers of what God is up to in our lives. 
So can we trust Him? Can we trust Him even when, our, when His Word offends us? For a lot of us, His teaching can be offensive, and that makes this hard. But you throw on top of that the fact that followers of Jesus turn away from Him. And following Jesus is hard. What if friends you went to church with for years no longer follow Jesus? What if the couple who sat in your pew stopped showing up because they don't like what God is calling them to do? What if our family turns away from Jesus and follows the culture instead of Christ? What if our pastor or our favorite teacher walks away from Jesus and chooses to promote false teaching instead of the truth? What if someone in our own house doesn't want anything to do with Jesus anymore? Will we turn away? And if so, where would we go? Would we simply cling to the person who turned away from Jesus, choosing them over Jesus? What if that person turns on you? What if that person fails you or hurts you? Or what if you fail them or hurt them? What then? Or maybe you would go and follow the culture with them, the culture that claims to be loving and accepting. But what happens when you fail to fall in line with the ever-changing values of the world? What if you are cut off or canceled for your dissent? What if you can find no way to be forgiven and brought back in? Is this a better way than Jesus? Brothers and sisters, we are living in a time when it is going to be more and more difficult to follow Jesus. That there will be and has been a refining among God's people. And people will walk away from Jesus. And the departure of some will be enough cause for others to go away as well. But what about you? Will you turn away? Or as Jesus says, will you go away too? As you wrestle with that question, let me encourage you with Peter's question. To whom shall we go? If we turn away from following Jesus, where are we going to go? What is the other option than following Jesus? What better option is there? What easier option is there? Does any person, does any system of beliefs, does any understanding of the world have words of life like Jesus does? And the answer is no. For as Jesus told his disciples the night before he died for them, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. And He also says, Come. Come to Me, for I have the words of eternal life. So let us cling to Him in whatever we're going through, in joy and sorrow, in good times and in bad. Let us pray.
Oh Lord, we thank you that you hold on to us tight because we are prone to wonder. We are prone to leave the God we love. We are fickle like Israel was. That if not for your grace, we would have walked away. Turned away from you. But going there is like drinking salt water. There is no satisfaction there. It seems to work, but there is no joy, no life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would hold us close. Hold us close to you and strengthen our faith. May we see the love of Jesus and may we share that love with others. Strengthen us, O God. For the times are tough. For suffering is hard. But you are good. And your love endures forever. Blessed be your name. Amen.